Well, good morning. morning. So great to be with all of you this morning. I'm excited for us to be in Revelation 4 today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And while you do, we're in a a brand new series, as you guys have seen. And this brand new series is called A Throne, A Scroll, and A Lamb. This is uh, chapters 4 through 7. We got a little echo working on it. Okay. Chapters 4 through 7 of Revelation. And um, this is an exciting new new, uh, (laughs) series that we're starting. Um, What we're going to be able to do today is we're going to be able to enter the throne room of God where he receives uh, worship. And we're going to be able to see God's vision for worship and and see how we could have um, an experience that same worship ourselves. And so the hope would be for us to be able to uh, do that. And uh, this guy might be more. Okay, we're good. All right, sorry. Um, So good morning, guys. I'm so excited to be with you. When we talk about worship, worship is such a loaded word. It feels like a, a churchy word. But it's not just a churchy word. You are a worshiper, period. Everyone, everyone, you are not primarily a thinker, but you are a feeler. You feel and you worship, and you have a tendency to worship a lot of different things around you, primarily the things that are, um, the things that capture your heart are the things that you worship. And so what are, what are those things? Well, for me, in high school, my senior year, I started playing tennis. And something about it, when that, that racket touched my hand and I started to play and I was good, I was like, ooh, this is, this is great. So I'd played uh, tennis, I'd played all these sports for all of my life, but I'd never played tennis. And something about that moment caused there to be this, this affection that grew in me, this uh, desire that continued to grow and grow and grow to where all I wanted to do is play tennis. And so I'd spend three to five hours a day for six days a week playing tennis. And then that grew into... Uh, I got to have the best gear, and I got to go and buy new shoes, got to go and buy uh, new tennis rackets, and if I don't have like the best gear, then I'm probably not going to be the best player, right? So I've got to go and I've got to spend my money on that thing that my heart's desire is for. And then that desire grew and grew and grew, and so I would start to watch tennis players, and I'd start to study their technique and their form, and I'd say, I want to be just like this guy, and so I want to embody what they're embodying And if I'm able to embody that, then maybe I'll just be good enough. And so that worship continued to grow in me. And what that led to is this this place of, I'm a worshiper. And I realized even far before I trusted Jesus, I was a worshiper of tennis. And and we we hear that and we say, well, okay, that's a little extreme, James, don't you think? Um, But it's not, because we all have these things in us that can grow into things that we worship so when I say worship, I'm saying like you ascribe value to, you ascribe worth to that thing. And that thing that has worth is uh, what you're worshiping. And if it's Jesus, that's great. And if it's not Jesus, then it's an idol that needs to be crushed, that needs to be exposed, that needs to be um, brought into the light. And what's beautiful about being Christians is that we can freely confess, hey, I've got this thing that's grown a little bit out of control, and we can experience that uh, I know that I've been loving this more than I should. I need to put it in its proper place. Still is a good thing to enjoy, but not as something to worship. And so walking that line is really tricky for us to do as Christians. And so um, what we'll get to do is we'll get to see that if we could just enter the throne room, if we could just see what John sees in this text today, it would change everything. Because we'd be able to see that 
all of these little things that I worship just because I'm, I was made to worship, all these little things that I worship are going to, they're not going to satisfy me. They're going to lead to death, right? So if I'm worshiping beauty, I'm going to get ugly and old and fat, and it's, things are going to change there, right? If I'm worshiping power, then I'm going to squash anybody who has more power around me so that I can experience that power. These things that we worship, if it's not Jesus, it's going to lead to our demise. So Revelation, anyone, is anyone like ever nervous when you read Revelation? Yeah. Look, just me? Okay. So with this text and with, with a lot of Revelation, there's like four major views that you could go with, and we're not going to have time to like parse out each of them and say, this is what this, these group believe and this is why they're wrong, but uh, we're going to present like a solid, a solid view, and if you have more questions, send them to me. I'd love to answer them on the post-sermon podcast uh, along with Chris. All right, so um, worship, as, I, as I've shared already, is more than singing songs. It's more than just uh, lifting up your voice. It's not just three before uh, the preaching and then two after. It's, it's everything that we do because we're primarily lovers in, by nature. And, um, and what we should know from this text is that we were made to worship God. You were made to worship God. Everything was made to worship God. But we resist worshiping God when our worship is misdirected. So like me with tennis, um, this was before I was a believer in God, so uh, it, it was just everything to me. And it was, it was the source of all of my hope, the source of all of my joy. And when I lost or I realized that I couldn't really take that any further, what happened was uh, that, that crushed me for a moment of saying, I've taken this incomplete joy and I've elevated it to a place where it's on a throne. And even as a Christian, there, there are times where I can take these incomplete joys and I just get fixated on things. And so I start to have to delete apps that are consuming a lot of time, right? Where it's like, you don't need to play Settlers of Catan on your phone anymore, James. You can, you can delete the app because, because when you have an idol, when you have this worship that's out of control, what it, you, you can tell that it's an idol when it starts to compete with its vision for the good life, starts to compete with what you actually know is the good life, what you actually know from God's word. And so when I'm not spending time with my family because I'm scrolling on an app, right, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, whatever it is, you, you can waste time because this, this uh, thing that is not God has become God to you. And so uh, our worship gets misdirected. And what I think is amazing about this is that God made us to worship, right? He made us to worship, and he receives glory and honor and power when we direct that towards him. And we're going to be most satisfied when we direct that towards him. The second thing that we do is we don't understand it. So maybe it's revelation. You get intimidated. You're like, I'm nervous about this. I know there's like eight ways that I can mess this up. Or maybe you're just reading it, and you're like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Turn the page, turn the page, turn the page. Okay, I'm done. Or... Um, but, but what we need to do with that one is we need to understand that there's a blessing for those who would uh, search these things out. And so it's confusing. It's difficult. It's, there is a weight and a, a um, challenge to it, but there's a promised blessing for those who would read it, who would understand it, and who would obey the words, particularly in Revelation, but for all of Scripture. And then the third thing that uh, causes us to get hung up is that we can want the glory for ourselves. 
Um, what this looks like is, if, if I don't get credit, I don't want to do it. It's this attitude of, uh, I know that this worship is about you, but there's something in me that, and because of sin, there's this thing that turns it inward and makes it about yourself when it's really not. And so we have to realize that uh, we are in a treacherous position as worshipers because uh, our God deserves all of our worship, yet we worship other things. And so um, we're going to pray. We're going to jump in. Revelation 4, chapter, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. God, you're beautiful, and you're worthy of all of our worship. I pray that you would help us to see you clearly. I pray that you would guide the words that come out of my mouth, that they would make sense. I pray that you would help us to... Um, there's 800 distractions up here already. <laughs> I pray that you'd, you'd help me to focus as... Uh, I just want to worship you. I want to glorify you. I want to give you all the credit, all the honor, and the majesty that you deserve, Lord, through the way that I share about you. And um, I pray that, that you would just direct our hearts towards you because on our own we're... We're so selfish and broken and sinful, and we know that you're the one who gives us everything that is good, and so I pray that you would help us to live for you. I pray that you would help us to know your power, know your strength, know your goodness, but also know our propensity to make idols out of nothing. Help us to enjoy you. Help us to know you, and help us to um, be conformed to the image of your Son in this time, Lord. We need your help. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so starting in verse 1, it says, After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. We see that there's a door in heaven. We're getting to come and enter the, the heavens. We're getting to come and enter the throne room. This is like an amazing, phenomenal experience. And John's hope with this is that as we get to see heaven, it would give us purpose for here on earth to where we don't have to live a life that's all about us and we get misdirected, but we'd be able to have heavenly perspective as we see the throne room today. Then there's this voice that says, come up here. God's saying, come up here. He's inviting John to see the spectacular. And then he says, you, I will show you what must take place after this. And so there's two, this after this phrase is repeated twice. And if, as you're thinking about Revelation, the, the way that it's organized is chapters 1 through 3 are the thing. This is, a, John was told, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. So the things that you have seen and those that are, those were like present day, right then, uh, like 95 AD when John was writing, uh, very timely right then. And then the things that are to come, the things that are to take place after this, chapters 4 through 22, if you're Bible note taker, 4 through 22 is far into the future. 1 through 3 was right then, and they are present tense for John. Does that make sense? All right, so John is doing his best here uh, to explain God um, with with limited language, but he's going to share, and he's going to use a lot of symbolic language, so get ready for that. All right, verse 2, at once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, 
and around the throne was a rainbow that had, had the appearance of an emerald. So there's this throne. The throne is like God is on the throne. He is the one that is king. He's reigning over all supreme, right? This throne, word throne is repeated 14 times in chapter 4. It's over and over and over. We're in the throne room. And so it's all about who is on the throne, who is ruling. And that's God. He's sovereign over all. He's king over all. And then there's this one seated. And so who's the one that's seated? That would be God the Father. Jesus, we're going to see Jesus in chapter 5. He's the lamb that was slain. God the Father is on the throne. And what John sees is he's, he's just trying to put words to it. He says there's jasper and carnelian and emerald. There's jasper's like a diamond. Carnelian is like ruby. And emerald is like green, but it's also somehow a rainbow. It's beautiful here. All of these things are precious and valuable and beautiful. So he's, as a finite man, trying to put words to an infinite God who's just infinitely beautiful. And he's saying, you, you got to see this. This is incredible, right? There's this, just this glowing presence from God. And then we see in verse 4, around the throne there were 24 thrones. So there are smaller thrones around the large throne. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. So there are these 24 thrones. Okay, And these 24 thrones are other rulers who are not above God, but who are under God, but are God's representatives. And what they're doing is they're surrounded around God, and they are ruling on his behalf. They're co-regents. They're his representatives who rule for him. They rule alongside him. They're, they're given something to rule, and then uh, they're the ones who are ruling uh, there. So they have a throne. They've got uh, this co-regency with God. They're ruling alongside him. And the 24 elders are um, most likely the 12 apostles, so like New Covenant, and then the 12, the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and we'll see the, their names listed later on in Revelation, um, of which tribes those would be, because uh, there's not Dan. Uh, he, he doesn't make the cut, but we do see uh, we do see Joseph is in there, and then uh, one of Joseph's sons, Manasseh, isn't, doesn't make the cut either, but he's under Joseph, so he's there, but not, he, doesn't get a, he doesn't get a chair, right? So they, they have these white garments, and this is like a, a glorious uh, attire that they're given, uh, and then they have this, these golden crowns because they're ruling, right? These golden crowns, they're rewards for faithfulness. They've been given this reward for faithfulness, and if that makes you uncomfortable... I don't uh, write the mail, I just read it, okay? So uh, take it up with God. There, there are rewards for the faithful, but we'll see what they do with those rewards that, uh, that's really amazing here towards the end of this chapter. Uh, there's lightning and thunder, which represents God's power, but also the coming judgment that God is about to pour forth. There's this thing that should make you tremble about what he's going to do. And then before the throne, there were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So these seven torches of fire, they're like uh, readiness for war is what they would represent. But then uh, there's these seven spirits of God, which is really strange, but it sevens like a number of 
completion, of perfection. So that would just be the Holy Spirit uh, that's being referred to there um, in a very confusing way. But that's okay. We're, we're okay with the uncomfortableness. We're, we're still seeking and digging deeper. Uh, and if this is a great time if you're like, I don't get that, uh, send a question. <laughs> and before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So a sea in the Bible, it's, always repre- it's almost always representing chaos and this storm. But here, it's like glass. So like perfectly still. And so if you remember... Revelation 2 and 3, and these letters that were written, these guys were in a fight, right? There was this crazy um, situation that there were all of these idols and all of these um, different ways that they could like shirk around righteousness, shirk around uh, responsibility, and worship the wrong things. But here there's this perfect peace because the right one is being worshiped. And there's this perfect peace that's incredibly different in heaven than what we saw in chapters 2 and 3, and what we saw was the reality for them. Um, and, and so, I, like, these verses are really mind-blowing, and so I thought a picture would be helpful. Um, I was joking with Chris that he might have used emojis to make this work, <laughs> but, but I, I thought this picture would suffice. It, it, it kind of helps you wrap your mind around how uh, this is organized, right? Of, there's this God who's infinitely glorious, and he's on the throne, and so you see, like, in the middle... There's that white, that would be the jasper, like diamond. And then there's the red, like, like the ruby, like the carnelian. Um, and then outside of there, that's, there's that weird rainbowy emerald thing going on. And what we see is that God is amazingly glorious, and he's on the throne. And this is awesome, because this is, this is far into the future, but it's also the present reality in heaven. This is the present reality in heaven, that God is on his throne that he's ruling, there's perfect peace there. And um, the sovereign God is, he's on the throne. They're, they're, the people of that day were having to deal with uh, Caesar cults, trade guilds, Nicolaitans trying to get him to accept false teaching, all sorts of persecution around the church. Uh, the Jews, Jews were being persecuted, the Christians were being persecuted, um, but the sovereign God is still on the throne. And so in our day, when we face persecution, when we face difficulty, when we face everything being turned on its head for an entire year, we know that God's on the throne. And if we could just get a glimpse of heaven, it would transform the way that we live here because we wouldn't be so worried about all the weird technical difficulties and things that just completely throw you off and say, oh man, this is going to look really weird and now it's going to be even more awkward and it's going to be just a terrible experience. And it's like, James, it's not about you. This is about him, and, and what we're doing here should be pointing everyone to think about this throne. Think about what God is doing. Think about how he is majestic. He is beautiful. He is all-powerful. He's worthy of our worship. And, and John just wants his people to see that if, if we could just see what this is like, then we would know where the, where the true throne is, because... Um, it enables us to then have crazy perspectives, right? Like Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This absolute glory makes all of our suffering, God will use our suffering, God will use our trials, God will use the difficulties that we endure here to bring himself glory because he's exposing the things in us which aren't worshiping him. He's exposing those things so that we can know him, so that we can 
love him and worship him in the right way. So our worship is in heaven. Our throne is in heaven. Our throne is not in a Capitol building in Austin, Texas. So whether it's mask mandate or no mask mandate, we're good, right? And we can endure the sufferings that we're facing because our throne is not in Washington, D.C. We have rulers in Washington, D.C., and I think that we can even wrap our mind around a throne by thinking about that, but that's not where our hope is. We are not citizens of here. We are citizens of heaven. We are a strange people. Our citizenship is in heaven, and our allegiance is to our king. And so we don't have to, like, fear monger or say, this is the most important election of our lifetime every four years. We don't have to do that. Our hope isn't in, in the election. Our hope is in our king who's already on his throne. And so the first point here. Uh, is that God invites us to experience his throne. And it should change everything for us. That as we experience his throne, as we experience who is actually ruling over all things, that we would enjoy him and we would be able to direct our worship towards him. Now, I'd love to say that I get this perfect, but I don't. Because... um, even as a, a pastor, you don't just have like this strange thing that passes over you and, and like all of a sudden you're exempt from all the other worship. Um, there, was this, there was this thing this year that Katie and I, we talk about it every year of like, do you have time for this? And it's uh, fantasy football. <laughs> and I say no, but I make time. Because you make time for the things that you love, right? And so there are sacrifices. I don't even know where the time's coming from. But I'm there, I'm checking out the waiver wire, I'm seeing what the good prospects are. I'm following all my players on Instagram so I can get some extra insights. I'm dominating the competition so that I can get this glory that's at the end of it, which is the wonderful, coveted, fantasy football trophy of our league. Thank you. It's, it's kind of glorious, but also in your heart, you're probably like, that is embarrassing that you brought this trophy on stage. So I'm going to just walk it down here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's mine, but you can, you can hold it. So the Holy Spirit's alive and well in you that are, that are disgusted by that. I'm, I'm, I'm disgusted by that. I'm repenting of that um, right there publicly, but I'm still going to play next year. So I'm going to keep it in the right spot, okay? Because it's okay to have good things. It's okay to win things. It's okay to be passionate about things. Yeah, and Katie won't let me take that home. It's going to stay up here at the church. It'll be in one of the youth rooms. So, yeah, it's, it's not coming home with me. It's, but, but if you want to know what you worship about, if you want to know what you worship, here's a challenge. Look at your screen time. Look at the way it breaks down different apps that you've used, how much you've used them, the percentage of time that you've spent on them. And if your Bible's like 0%, that might, you might have a worship problem. And you could, have a, you could just love paper Bibles. I know they're, they're good, loving people who love paper Bibles. Um, it's not going to show up on your screen time, but that's okay. Uh, you might have a worship problem. You might have misdirected worship. If, if you can give me detailed insights on the fantasy football waiver wires, you can give me detailed insights on your fantasy football players, or on, how about this, how about contestants on The Bachelor? 
and why they should or shouldn't have won. You can tell me all about that. But you haven't had a chance to read your word this week. You might have misdirected worship, right? You might have misdirected worship if, you, um, if you're missing church to, to play video games. You might have misdirected worship if you're binge-watching, uh, you've binge-watched three new series over the past month, but you haven't been able to make it to your community group. There are these things that you would say, they're not important to me. I could, I could quit whenever I want. But they show up in your life over and over and over, and they compete for the things that you would say are more important because they're sneaking onto the throne. And so you have to be able to expose those. And as Christians, there's so much grace. Like, I, I share this, and I was embarrassed to share it. I debated it back and forth, back and forth on sharing this because I'm embarrassed because that's disgusting because <laughs> it really did capture my heart to where when uh, in the championship game, right, Nathan was ahead. Nathan was, it was his first year in the league. It was me and him head to head, right? And it was, he was going to win because my guys just didn't show up. But then, at the last minute, Devontae Adams, 43 points in, that, in the Sunday night game, and I'm jumping up and down, celebrating what's happening, yelling at the TV screen at my parents' house because of this championship that I don't really care about. I could stop whenever I want. <laughs> And so we have to be able to expose those things and say, That's, this is evil. And sin is evil because it'll take even good things like your kids and wanting the best for them. And it'll elevate them to this. You'll, you'll put them on the throne and that weight will crush them because they weren't meant to be worshipped. Can we keep moving? All right, verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. These are angels, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third uh, living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. So these are majestic, incredible angels, kind of scary. They've got full of eyes behind and in front. Uh, There's one that's like a lion. So remember symbolism here, really strong. So the lion is like majesty and strength, right? The ox is like, uh, it's just strength, but also like this, you want to get work done, you need an ox, because the ox is going to be able to plow through. The ox is going to be able to do what it takes. It has this incredible strength. Then we have the man. The face of a man is like intelligent, perfectly intelligent. This is like reflecting, kind of pointing towards uh, God and his goodness, Um, but they're angels meant to worship him, so they're perfect in intelligence. And then the eagle, who's like the king of the air, if you will. He's swift. He's the biggest apex predator in the air. He's a big deal. So you've got God is, he's ruling over all things. He's most majestic, most strong, most um, intelligent, most, he rules over the air as well, right? He's amazing. He's majestic. He's worthy of our worship. And these creatures exist to, on repeat, present their praise to God. And so what they do is the four living creatures, each of them with their six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. These guys, uh, they're being full of eyes, what that represents is like being fully discerning. They know everything. They can see all Day and night, they never cease to say, there's this 
unceasing, unending, on repeat, praise to God. And what are they praising about God? That he's holy, that he's perfect. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're, they're praising his power that he's almighty. They're praising that he is eternal. He was and is and is to come. He always has been. He is right now, and he always will be. And so there's this greater picture, right, to where there are these um, creatures that are kind of terrifying that are constantly giving God praise. And what I love about this is that, um, that what we see is that God invites us to worship alongside the angels. Might not show up there. God invites us to worship alongside the angels. So there are angels that are constantly, perpetually, on repeat, lifting up praise to God. And he invites us to worship with them. So that when we have Sunday service, this is a work of the people, a work of praise. But what we're doing is we're joining the angels who are always giving God the Father praise. And so something in us, like there's something powerful about us gathering in a space, us gathering together, us being united, right, in this time and in this place where we're not only worshiping with the angels, with each other, but we're worshiping with the angels in heaven. We're declaring, God, you are holy, holy, holy. You are over all things. You are eternal. You're you blow my mind with how majestic and how beautiful you are. And what, what this is, is a, it's a call for us to recalibrate our heart, right? So we're lovers more than doers, more than thinkers. We're lovers. And so our heart is like a compass. And our heart is like a faulty compass that, like, every day we have to recalibrate it, right? Because our true north changes. It goes like fantasy football. Let me get that trophy. It goes, it goes I, I, I want to worship all these things. I want to worship uh, just having like a perfect family and everything's perfectly together. I want to worship like my house and making sure that everything's all set there. And so I've got to finish these, all these different projects. And so there's these new demands that are being demanded of me. And if I'm not careful, my true north is not a real true north because it's really directing me towards this thing because sin has twisted my heart to desire the wrong things. And so when we privately... Like, worship on your own, like, read your Bible, find insight from God, pray and obey God's word. As we do this, it recalibrates our heart so that then when we get together as a whole church, you're, you're ready to worship together. You're ready to be worshiping with the saints and enjoy that special grace that's echoing what's happening in heaven. And you're, you're able to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, your kingdom come in my heart. Your will be done in my heart. Redirect, realign me to your priorities. Realign me to worship you. As I, as I was reading this, the, that line, holy, 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 I thought about sometimes we talk about the church, and it, it can be fun, and we can have some fun with um, playing, or like, oh, wow, the church is worship. It's just, it's just that music. I just can't stand it. I can't do it for me. And we get so particular about the silliest things like, Oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's like, you're going to just repeat that song? <laughs> yes. That's what the angels are going to be singing on repeat because they're extolling God for being beautiful. And I, I, here's what I would say. I'm warning you. I'm exhorting you. Don't criticize heavenly worship. Don't criticize the worship that is in heaven and say, oh, we could do better, guys. Come on. 
Or we could say, we need, that's, that's a little too gospel for me. That's a little too, you know, Cody, that was a little too much country twang for me. I don't, I don't know if I can worship to that. It, that's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous thing I've heard. That, that we get so particular about things in our corporate worship, and our public worship together, because our private worship is lacking or non-existent. When we're most critical of all the little things, like I don't like when uh, James preaches, I don't like when Joseph preaches, I don't like when Chris preaches. You've got all these different things that you don't like. It just doesn't work for me. I'm not feeling fed. It's because your heart is not in a good place because you're not recalibrating it on your true north through your private worship. You have to have your private worship, and if that doesn't exist, you're going to be miserable wherever you go. You're not going to find a church that, that works for you. Thank you. <laughs> so God invites us to worship alongside the angels. And this is, a, this is a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing that our praise gets to join the angels, that we get to join alongside them. And then for this, for this time, it's a really special time that we get to, like, I, I, would, I could do this all day, right? And, and of we're, we're coming together, we're gathering around the word, we're singing out praise to God. Because we're joining heaven, and it's, it's a lot, God's doing something special in this moment to, to where we experience his power. We can tangibly experience his presence in a, in a way that, like, I don't get, like, the, the goosebumps worship experience all the time at home when I'm doing my private worship time. But I, often, that's happening to me here. Is that, am I alone in that? Is, that? is that just me? Where When you're worshiping alongside other saints in and you're experiencing that, there's this thing that the Holy Spirit is, is blessing, the Holy Spirit is here in a way that is unique to our personal worship, which absolutely needs to exist. So I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying do that, but have it alongside also this corporate worship where we're coming together and we're singing praise and we're remembering who our God is, who's on the throne. Okay, so verse 9, and this is our, our, our final section, our final point for today. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. So these, these angels, they give glory and honor and thanks. They're, um, they're praising God. There's this triplet here that's happening where there's this glory and honor and thanks. Because he is glorious. Because we need to, we, he's independent where he doesn't need our worship but when his creation that exists because of him worships him, there's something beautiful in that, right? Of like, oh, you get it. You understand why you were made. You understand what you were made for. You were made to worship, just like these angels were made to worship. And then there are these 24 elders who fall down before him, who is seated on the throne, and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. So... These 24 elders, they fall down before him. So they're, gonna, they're worshiping by laying themselves low, by in this position of prostrate, of, of laying low and saying, God, you are worthy. I, I can't even approach you. You're amazing. And then they're not saying, I've got this crown. Hey, did you see how faithful I was? Like, I got the crown. And you guys, you don't have a, throne, you don't have a chair? You don't have a crown? No, they're not doing that. But they're able to receive that good gift from God but then because they realize that they got that good gift from God, 
They got it because God empowered them by his grace for his glory to receive that crown, to be faithful. Because they were able to, they're able to see that, they're able to say, you know what, this isn't about me. This isn't for me. I'm going to throw this before you. I'm going to throw, I'm willing to give up my need to be uh, affirmed, my need to, be, to hear like, wow, that was just amazing. Like I, I saw how, how the Lord worked through you in that. I'm able to throw that away because it's not about me. It's about our God, and he, he deserves the credit. He deserves the glory. He deserves the honor. And so I'm able to cast all of my accomplishments, all of my, uh, those things that I desperately long for, the things that I desperately hope to do in my lifetime, they're not going to be because I, I willed them to happen. They're not going to be because I just thought, hey, if I just put my mind to it, I'm going to be able to do this. It's going to be by his grace and for his glory that I'm able to do anything good. Because apart from him, I can do nothing. And that's, apart from him, each of us can do nothing of eternal significance, nothing of eternal value. We have to find that in him. And so all of our good works, all of our um, efforts, they're going to be, we should have this attitude of, I'm going to cast this before you. So even if nobody ever sees it, even if nobody ever pats me on the back for doing the right thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey my God. I'm going to worship my God. And I'm going to lay down low. I'm going to remember that he is on the throne. And um, what's interesting here is, is it doesn't say that these guys do this cease, unceasingly. They're not like endless, on-repeat worship like the angels are. They're rulers, right? So they've got another job, but this is kind of like maybe like a board meeting is how you could think about it. They're here, and they're going to say this thing, and they're going to, um, then they're going to also be ruling later. And so what do they say? They say this incredible thing. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created worthy. It is morally good, it is morally right for you to receive the glory, the honor, the praise, for me to find all my value, all my worth in you, because you are the one who gives that worth, that value to me. It's right for you, for everything, to worship you and to receive glory and honor and power. And this kind of blows my mind, this, this triplet of glory and honor and power from these elders. They're saying, Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. And like that blows my mind because God is independent. It blows my mind because like how could God receive glory and honor and power from faithful saints? It's because God is humble to do that. He humbles himself to do that. Like uh, I, got a, I got a friend, he's kind of rich, okay? And, and if we go to lunch, there's never a question of who's paying because he's like put the card in the thing and he's organized it before to where the, the waiters and waitresses that come they will never bring me the check. So he would never let me pay for his food. It would take like almost like a humbling of himself of, this is kind of a joke, but I'll, I'll take what you have. I'll let you, um, I'll let you pay for this meal. I'll let you um, do this thing because I, I want to be able to receive this from you. And it takes humility. So all my rich friends in the room, uh, it takes humility to receive that. So let, let the other guy pay every now and then. You know, let, let them have a chance, okay? Um, and, and so it, it's, I think that there's, it's just kind of mind-blowing that God receives that glory and honor and power from his faithful saints. But it's, it's that 
He is glorified by us getting it. He is honored by us getting it. Um, and what's cool is that he, he's worthy of that because he created all things. He's worthy of that because it wasn't that he just created them to, because like somebody sent him to do the job. He created out of his abundant love. He created by, out of his will that he desired to create all things. And he loves his creation so much that he would say, your purpose isn't wrapped up in these things that aren't ever going to satisfy you. But your, your purpose is going to be fulfilled. You're going to be most satisfied when you find your worth, your value, your identity in Jesus Christ and his work, in God and what he's done as our creator. And so our third and final point is that God invites us to worship alongside the saints. He doesn't call us um, to worship saints. He's not calling us. So um, we get to worship alongside the saints. They're, they're saying, don't look at me. I'm laying low. I'm casting my crowns before God. I want God to receive the worship that he's due. And there's this weird thing in us, right, like this celebrity Christian uh, culture that's like very strange, right, to where like if a, a famous pastor or famous Bible teacher like likes something you did, you're like, oh, wow, I got, I'm, I'm worth something. No, just, just me? Okay. That's, yep. All right, moving on. Uh, okay, so uh, I got a chance to preach a, a devotional thing at a, a, a church planner group, and there's a pastor there that, that I really admire that was going to be there. And he's got a, he's just amazing in a lot of ways. I, I respect a lot of his work for a lot of reasons. And I was getting excited and kind of like psyched out about getting to pre- preach a mini sermon uh, with him in there. And uh, Katie was like, what's wrong with you? he's just another guy. He, he's like serving Jesus alongside us, and he might have a church of 7,000, but he's just another guy. So what are you, what are you doing? This is, this, is, this is not right. We all need a Katie to say, hey, what are you doing? This, it, amen. We need, we, need someone, we need someone to say, listen, I see this is out of, out of order in your life, and this is not good. It, we, need, we need people who love us enough to challenge us in these things and to say, I'm glad you're excited. I'm glad you get to do this cool thing. Um, but this is out of order in your heart. It's not in a good place. I mean, I, I get nervous preaching to everybody, right? And so it was like these extra nerves and this extra crazy thing uh, that was happening, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't coming from a good place. So we got to always be searching our hearts, asking God to expose these things so that we can have him on his throne. He's on his throne already, but have him in, on the throne in our heart to where our lives are directed yes, with him as our true north. And, and I think the, the story with the, the famous pastor or the, the megachurch pastor, is, it's like kind of funny because it exposes some stuff, but I think in each of us is like this desire to be approved by people we respect and admire, right? And so maybe it's not like the same thing, but like when somebody who's really good at something that you want to be good at affirms anything in you, you're just like, oh, wow, that must have been from the Lord. <laughs> but they're just other guys, okay? So let's keep them in the right place, and let's worship alongside the saints instead of worshiping the saints. Amen? All right, so here's our final question. Will you worship God? Is God who's on the throne in your heart right now? I hope so. I hope it's Jesus. I hope, I hope that God is on the throne in your heart. And I hope that your life is directed with, in a way that reflects that. 
And I hope that um, we would, we, we always need to be searching, we always need to be seeking out what rival kingdoms are competing for affections in my heart. What rival kingdoms are trying to take that throne, right? So if it's like a, a Settlers of Catan app, delete it. If you, you need to search those things out and find what they are so that then you can say, okay, I'm going to put this in its proper place. I'm going to keep it where it needs to be so that I can keep God on his throne, so that I can order my life in a way that would bring him all the glory, all the honor, all the power, so that I would worship him and him alone. And my prayer with this is that as I've exposed a lot of things in me, that you would hear that I'm not saying I'm beating you over the head with these things. You've got to do better. You've got to do better. That's, I'm, not, I'm not preaching moralism up here. I'm not preaching do better, do better, do better. I'm saying look at your heart and see the way that it drifts. We all need to be looking at the way that it drifts and then make sure that Jesus is on the throne. Make sure that God the Father is on the throne. Make sure that your worship reflects that worship that is in heaven. And if, if you're a Christian, confess Repent, put God back on his throne in your heart. If you're not a Christian, this is only possible if you do trust in Jesus. So Jesus, God, the picture of God in heaven and the worship being perfect and there's this stillness and this, this peace because God is being worshiped is the reality in heaven now and it's a beautiful thing. The picture here on earth is that we are broken. We have sin, and that sin separates us from God. It separates us from even seeing that glory and wrapping our mind around that. And that's where we, can, we get these other things that get twisted and get onto that throne. And so for you to ever have a chance to do this right, you have to see you're a sinner. You've fallen short of the glory of God. You have to see that Jesus, seeing your sin, seeing how you would fall short, he saw that, he loved you. And because of the great love with which he had, he left this worship, this glory in heaven so that he could be the lamb that would be slain. He could be the sacrifice. He could live the perfect life you could never live. He could die the death that you deserve because of your sin and make a way so that anybody who would believe in him could have peace with a holy and perfect God just through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want to hear more about that, I would love to talk, talk with you more and share uh, what that looks like. But our question is, will you worship God? Is he actually on the throne in your heart? And will you uh, order your life in a way that represents that? I'm going to pray. Lord, you're beautiful. You are um, perfect in all of your ways. You're worthy of our worship. And on our own... Um, we fail, and we, um, we're completely sinful. We're completely um, broken, and we, we need your help. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would direct our lives, that your uh, word would direct our hearts and our lives in a way that we would be able to understand your goodness, in a way that we would be able to understand your perfection, in a way that we would be able to understand what you've done for us. So, Lord... Would you be on the throne in our hearts? Would you be uh, the one who directs our eyes, directs our hearts to you so that we can worship here on earth as it is in heaven? I, Lord, I am so excited about heaven. I'm so excited about getting to be uh, in your presence, getting to see your glory face to face. And, and Lord, I just look forward to that day. I pray that you would give us eyes to see heaven and that this 
this slice of what we see in heaven would transform our lives, it would transform our hearts, it would transform the way that we worship here so that we would be able to identify where our heart gets out of line quickly and we'd be able to say, this isn't right. This isn't the way that it should be. And we'd be able to live for you and for you alone. Lord, you deserve all the glory. You deserve all the praise. And we need you to empower us. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so in this time, what we're going to...